0: This is an EWTN link. I'm Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection. The death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg jolting the presidential campaign just six weeks before the election. President Donald Trump saying he will quickly nominate a new justice to keep his promise to loyal conservative voters. Federal Judge Amy Coney Barrett, a Catholic mother of seven, widely reported to be the frontrunner as a potential nominee. Barrett, who clerked for Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, taught at Notre Dame's law school before her confirmation to the federal bench back in in 2017. Pro-Life Voices making it clear President Trump's Supreme Court nominee's stance on abortion will be a key issue. Endorsing Judge Barrett, Catherine Glenn Foster of Americans United for Life calls it right to life the most important human rights question of our time. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tomio, and the doctor is in with Dr. Ray Gerindy. Starts now.
1: Doctor Is In is a co-production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
2: Tell me what's going on. I never thought I'd be calling you. I hope you're going to agree with me.
3: Well, no, I'm sorry.
2: I'm not into predictions, but you want me to make a prediction? But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do.
3: Yeah, I really didn't want to call you about
2: this. All right, let's answer your question and give you some good news.
3: Yay.
2: You're my second favorite Italian person. You seem like an honest guy. A lot of people suffer when they have to listen to me. So at least you're getting your daily dose of suffering right now.
1: Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of
2: Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Taking you, your child, from the before picture on Bratz Today to poster parent. PTA's Parent of the Decade. Good to have you with me on the Doctor is in. This is our Monday version. This is E Person Monday, where I get a chance to really do all the talking. Pretty much, actually, you talk vicariously through me because I read your E Person. Keep it anonymous, because a lot of people say, "Hey, I, I have people who listen," and I say to them, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my listening audience is about 170 people, 50 states." That's three per state. Do you realize the odds of somebody you know listening? It's like getting struck by lightning. So we will get to those. I have a, a particularly special one I want to get to today because it's a piggyback on a previous manilogue, but today's monologue An evangelical preacher once made the observation that The verse that he, as a younger preacher, was most familiar with because it's the one he most heard from evangelicals and Catholics, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that soever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. You see the sign there, well, Well, you used to, at big gatherings, games professional games usually it's John three sixteen sign somewhere then he said that the most often quoted verse had changed the one that he heard now more than any other verse was judge not lest ye be judged it's the old you can have no comment you can have no viewpoint about anything that I do because you're judging now, <clears throat> there is a, a slick way, I believe, to to really shut someone up who has a moral view, even if they're not pushing that moral view on another. See, you don't you don't have to push your moral view on somebody for them to feel you're judging them. You don't have to say a word; they feel you're judging them just by you having moral standards, following your moral principles given to you by God, Christ, His Church. And here it is. My opinion, my experience, this is a variant of judge not, lest ye be judged. We're all sinners. That's supposed to say That I sin, you sin, he sins, she sins. We all sin. That's the way it is. Judge not lest you be judged. You know, you're a sinner too. Which is true. We are. But it comes down to the nature of our sinning. If I sin because I'm weak, I'm frail, I do things that I shouldn't do on impulse. I have habits I'm struggling to get rid of that have been hounding me for years and decades. I commit sins. But, hopefully, I repent of those sins and I resolve to do the very best I can with God's grace to to get rid of them. So I am a sinner. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I can get under the umbrella of we're all sinners. But the one thing I don't want to do when I'm a sinner is to say, "Well, I know it's a sin, so I want to do it. I'm just living this way, and I have no desire to repent of it or to even look at it because we're all sinners." which bespeaks of the difference between sinning out of weakness and repenting because of the sin and living with the sin, having no intention of doing anything about it because you don't agree that you have to. So at a very shallow level, we're all sinners encompasses both of us. But with any kind of depth of interpretation of that statement, with any kind of context, the nature, if you will, of the sin is very different. Very, very, very different. One is weakness. The other is deliberate. One is repentance of the weakness. The other is no repentance of the deliberateness. So if you get hit with that one, I guess what I want to say to you is, Somebody says to you, well, you know, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. You say, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I I would hope that my sinfulness is from my weakness, and I would hope that I'm trying to, to leave it behind. You don't have to say, you're not. You have no desire to stop what you're doing. You don't have to say that. And ain't gonna get you anywhere. But you've made your point. The implication is there, man. Hopefully, they'll hear it. Okie dokie. Let me come back. I want to read to you an interesting email I got a few weeks back, which piggybacks on a manologue that I did. Um. On this un, well, I. I'm gonna say unintended. But I think that with any, any kind of forethought, with a one-on-one knowledge of children, one would put this into their calculation of what to do. You'll, You'll see what I mean when I come back. I'm being deliberately cryptic. I'm Dr. Ray. Thank you for joining me.
1: doctor will be with you in just a moment.
0: You had it right on the money again.
1: Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com
4: I'm Dr. Stan Williams. Contemplate the universe with me.
1: And so God looked at everything he had made and found it
4: very good. I suppose that includes what some biologists call junk DNA what cosmologists call dark matter, what physicists suggest are hidden dimensions, or how time can distort space and gravity twist light. Atheists claim that science has the answers to everything. But in fact, as humans, when it comes to most of the universe, we have no idea. In our wisdom, we call the ubiquitous junk, dark, hidden, distorted, and twisted. Can the mysteries of the universe be all those things and still be very good? Impossible? We have no idea. But God knows, and one day you will too. At AveMariaRadio.net under Resources, explore the universe with me. I'm Dr. Stan Williams.
5: If you believe in the power of prayer, Ave Maria Radio invites you to look at their website to submit a prayer request at AveMariaRadio.net. Your prayer requests are shared with hundreds at the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the Servants of God's Love, the Monastery of the Blessed Sacrament Cloistered Nuns, the Family of Faith Apostolate, and the staff of Ave Maria Radio. Just go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the Community tab to submit your prayer request today.
0: My husband and I, we listen to you all the time. <laughs> Him at work, me at home, and then we talk about it over dinner.
2: Boy, you, you guys, you got to get a better marriage. One of the great things about this program is you In many ways I learn a lot from you but you send me things sometimes you refer me to different websites or you might suggest a book you are like having a nationwide wire service uh, a Google you're my Google you send me great great stuff that that helps me and sometimes it's your personal experience that well, either embellishes something I've said or takes away from something I've said. And the, and the taken away isn't necessarily bad. This is E-Person Monday, by the way, on The Doctor Is In. This is where we just take on your E-persons and do our very best to answer them at, at some level. We get a lot. get a lot. Um, some weeks ago, I did a monologue, And the monologue centered around... The idea that the masks are a symbol of danger, a symbol of fear. Whether you want that to be or not, that is the way it is. I'm not going to get into the debate on whether they're good or bad or pros or cons. There's there's research on both sides that indicates they're effective and indicates they're not effective. So just given the fact that we have decided to go in the direction of masks, pretty much all the way. Not just for adults, though for children. I mean, where I live, automatic. K through 12, masks. Preschool through 12, masks. Now, (laughs) anybody who says this about kids doesn't know kids. Good luck with that one. Or good luck with them not touching their face 28 times per hour, more than that. So, I made the observation that one of the things I'm seeing as a psychologist, and I've seen other doctors now come out with this. We've created a Terrible, terrible sense of fear, distress, even depression, anxiety among our youth. Think about this. You're six years old and you see all the grown ups around you wearing masks and you have to wear a mask. What are you going to think? Oh, they're just doing this so I don't sneeze on anybody. No, you're going to look at this and wonder why all these people are doing this. Of course. So after I after I gave that analog, my experience, and now it's being backed up by more people coming out, I got this about a couple days later. Dear Dr. Ray, a friend of mine sent me a link to one of your radio shows when you talked about kids wearing masks at their first Holy Communion and having photos taken with their masks on. That's right, I bemoaned that. I said, for heaven's sakes, take them outside. If you want, split them six feet apart, but let these poor kids have a first communion picture with the priest with their face. No, no, no. Here's my first communion picture. i got a mask on. I am employed. She goes on. I am employed at a YMCA summer camp. My group of kids are in grades four and five. Their comments about coronavirus frighten me. There is constant reference to death dying. For instance, someone will cough. And one of the kids will say, you've got corona, you're going to die. Last week, while walking to a nearby park, one of the boys who comes on Wednesdays and Fridays, told me he was going to die from corona and he would not be at camp on Friday. Dr. Ray, those kids are just yanking her chain. Oh, really? Well, then she doesn't know that because she's there and she's hearing this. She goes on. These kids are living in a constant state of anxiety and fear. They're not allowed to do a lot of things at camp due to all the restrictions. Outside! And this adds to their frustrations. Starting tomorrow, all the kids will be required to wear masks. She says this. I know kids die from coronavirus. Yes, that is true. Just like kids die from sledding accidents. Kids die in the highest numbers in cars. Kids die from bacterial infections. Kids die from the flu. Yeah, I'm not going to get into abortion yet. I saw a statistic just very recently that said over 97,000 children have tested positive for corona. 97,000 now you see that number and you freak oh my 100,000 kids and then they gave the number of children who died of the 97,000 interesting that they gave that number because typically they leave the death number out the death number is going down and it is way less than the tested cases you're testing for a virus Okay, you are got to know that kids are going to get a virus. But interestingly enough, the flu kills more children than coronavirus does. And they said that in that same time period, that the 97,000 cases is since March, uh, 13,000 children died from other causes. She says, I am 63 years old. I have little concern about my job infecting me she says I'm more concerned about people wearing a mask while driving and looking at their cell phone as they drive through a red blinking light when I want to cross the street (laughs) yeah Janine so very well put I don't know exactly when people will start to say uh, the part about little kids wearing masks dr. Ray are you not aware I'm trying to anticipate trying to anticipate some email are you not aware that children can give it to adults we don't want them to give it to the teacher well the question does become how how much can a child not infected do anything that's one and by the way if you look at the child numbers 97,000. We have approximately 100 million kids in this country. 97,000 is one in a thousand. One in a thousand children so far have tested positive. One in a thousand. So the second question is, and these are just legitimate questions. I'm not arguing one way or the other. I'm just asking questions, which good psychologists are supposed to do. Second question is if you are asymptomatic with the virus, what is your degree of contagion? How much can you? Actually pass it on and that seems to be the unknown it truly is they you they thought at the beginning of all this oh no 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 you can just you pass it on but now they're saying mm, 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 mm. all righty here's a question from Virginia she says I have such a hard time with this question Jesus said his yoke is easy, that he is with us if we call on him. The problem I have is this, what about abducted women, men, children who are sex trafficked, who are held captive, who are beaten, people who are homeless, name it, anything you want. Suppose they call on Jesus, but they still continue to be mistreated, etc. Where is he for them? I understand the free will of the evil person doing this, but what about the victim? I understand about Jesus having to be taken and crucified for us, but that almost seems different. Do you understand what I'm trying to figure out? Needless to say, I want to trust Jesus, whatever comes my way, but then I think about the above and ask the question. Thanks for your help. In helping me understand. Ah, well, Virginia, I don't know how much I can help you understand. I'll read to the folks here what I wrote to Virginia. I said, Dear Virginia, yours is the age-old question about suffering, especially at the hands of others. God is infinite. And he has an infinite number of ways to make it all right. Most of which would have to be after this world. We only can see what we can see. What, 10, 15 years ago, that tsunami killed 100,000 people? One fell swoop? Oh, boy. Sure seems unfair, doesn't it? So, what we are essentially saying is, all equity, all justice has to occur in this little sliver of life. Well, if there is a God... And if God controls every atom of the universe and can do whatever He wishes within possibility—that is, you know, He can't make a rock as heavy as so heavy He can't lift it. He can't make a, a a pig pig that can fly. He could, but He'd have to redesign it. He can't make a pig fly. Well, depending on how you. Do. I'm getting getting into the weeds. Forget that. Just ignore what I just. The jury will disregard those last four statements of the host. If God, if God is infinite, then he has ways that we we couldn't even comprehend to make it fair, to make it just. Now the standard answer is of course, he has to give you free will to free to love, but you're also free to hate. You're also free to hurt, of course. But that still doesn't take care of the, the matter of a four year old child getting leukemia although interestingly enough now now think about this for a second just just ponder this if we say that heaven is complete bliss forever then as tragic as as much as it hurts us for a little four-year-old to pass away that little four-year-old has heaven forever he didn't have to risk his soul. Anything it was it was a free ride But all, all we see is the suffering all we see is the, the the inequity of it. He could have lived to be 80 Yeah, but God would say yeah if he lived to be 80, he'd totally ignore me. He would completely jeopardize the state of his soul So he's with me now forever See that's what I mean about we don't understand. I'm not saying that's gonna take away the pain but it's what we don't understand One of the things that has always helped me with so many of these questions the first thing is they are not sufficient to make me question the existence of God my conclusion on the existence of God is based upon what I believe is very credible evidence and the existence of Christ being God is even heavier credible evidence so once I've concluded that the existence of God is there, he's real, Christ was God. Once I've got that. Then when I raise questions that I don't understand, why is there suffering? How can a a compassionate God let people go to hell for all eternity they didn't they didn't sin for all eternity? That doesn't seem even. How can God, just sit back and allow this wild proliferation of religions, non Christian religions that are more than Christian religions? Is this a God saying all these people are going to go to hell? Now, see, those questions for me, I am forced to say, I know nothing about how God does it. Nothing. So if He exists, and if I believe he's loving and fair, well, then, then he's got ways I don't know anything about. It's like a little kid, a four-year-old going up to daddy. Daddy, I don't see how you're going to do that. Well, son, you don't, you don't know how I can do that, but this is how I'm going to I can do it this way. The little kid doesn't have any idea how his daddy can fix something or do something. He doesn't know. He can't, even, he can't conceptualize it. And the gap between a four-year-old and me is a lot smaller, sometimes my wife says two years, than the gap between me and God. So, Virginia, I think I gave you more than I wrote in my brief little answer.
3: What does the Catholic catechism teach concerning the natural human curiosity and desire to know the future? Paragraph 2115 counsels us that a sound Christian attitude consists in putting oneself confidently in the hands of providence for whatever concerns the future and giving up all unhealthy curiosity about it. What does the catechism condemn as unhealthy curiosity? All forms of divination, deifying objects as persons, are to be rejected, as are consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm readings, interpretations of omens and lots, clairvoyance and mediums. All these venues conceal a desire for power over time, history, and other human beings, powers that belong to God alone. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Father Benedict Crochelle
4: I usually am operating on the gifts of the Holy Spirit when I don't feel well, even when I'm annoyed, when I'm down and out. During my recovery from the automobile accident, immense numbers of people wrote to me and sent me emails, 50,000. And they told me how helpful They thought my talks on EWTN were to them. I'm delighted, but I want you to know I'm nobody's fool. The talks that were helpful, the sentences that were helpful, the phrases that were helpful came from the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the styrofoam packaging came from me. I did that. And styrofoam doesn't amount very much EWTN live truth live catholic
2: for my um uh, younger uh, viewers out there there's a book we used to have books yeah we, we used to have them before we had the internet uh, book is like a blog it's like a blog for people who who have attention spans I'm dr. Ray thanks for joining me here on this e person Monday. let's go to this one and oh boy oh boy many parents are finding themselves faced with this decision because the kids put them in in that position and the parents are afraid to make the decision they want to make because they're afraid the kid is going to hit them with the big emotional club and walk out of their lives we are a practicing Catholic family with three kids our oldest just turned 18 starting college remotely full ride scholarship in the honors program Woohoo! She has always been driven and very independent. Recently, she's been hanging out with a girl from work. She has known for six months. Now, Mom, wait, Mom, stop her. I'm assuming she's still living at home. And so, and this is very common, by the way, the kids hook up with someone who shows them the side that, uh, well, that they're either have been interested in it in a while and haven't stepped in that direction, or all of a sudden it's uh, it's looking pretty good because my parents never let me see that side, and the kids, of course, think that the parents stunted them. We tried to get to know this girl, but she rarely came around, and our daughter stays there almost every night. Excuse me. And then mom puts in parentheses since she turned eighteen. Uh okay so I'm assuming mom you're giving her permission to stay out all night at age 18 what does that have anything to do with it what does that have to do with anything she's 18 so what she lives at home that means she has certain legal rights but that's it it's meaningless if she's living in your house but see I'm reading between the lines here and I think you're you're caught you feel like well she is an adult she's a legal adult so I guess we can't tell her what to do of course you can she's living in your house my son turned 18 my oldest son Sam down his birthday I told this story before Andrew you're 18 now in the eyes of the law you're an adult which means you can come and go as you please do what you want when you want spend your money however you want talk however you want watch whatever you want I can't do anything about it. Of course, if you choose to do all that, you can't live here. He smiled because he knew that's where his old man was headed. This girl that she hangs out with lives with her mother and is three years older than our daughter. We caught our daughter lying to us about our whereabouts. We took the car from her that we provide. Okay, now we're starting to get into it. Uh, she's 18 and she's enjoying the perks of mommy and daddy, but I'm doing what I want. And which includes staying out overnight whenever I want. And by the way, mom, I wouldn't be so quick to think they're all just sitting at home web streaming a movie. I would guess when she stays out all night, she's all over the place. Um, she, okay. We took the car from her in an ugly scene and she left over a week ago she only took what she needed and still has most of her stuff at our home we've not heard from her for over a week she's without a car we are still paying for her phone service okay you tell me why just you don't, I mean you don't have to tell me but just quite just just a question I know what you're saying quote-unquote safety factor she is starting college in two weeks. Hmm. Well, she's on a full ride scholarship. Does that include uh, room and board? Does that include all the things you would pay for? <clears throat> also, having talked to our younger daughter, who is 16, the 18 year old feels like she's a victim and has for some time. There it is. There it is. So often this stuff has been brewing. It started when the child was 14, 15, 16, and it's been brewing. And as soon as they have the quote-unquote legal freedom to do what they think they can do at any time, it comes out. This didn't just happen. In my guess, this just didn't happen because she started hanging around with that girl at work and went from being this kid who totally embraces the way she was raised to a kid who totally rejects the way she's raised. Where are we at here? She feels like her father and I are these awful parents who do not care about her. And, according to our 16-year-old, and siblings do, siblings do know a lot more about siblings, especially in the teen years, than we parents do. We did not make it to all her sports and events and did not get her gifts for her birthday. We combine Christmas and birthday when purchasing high-ticket items. These are just comments she shared with our 16-year-old over time. I'm sure there's more to it, but not sure what's going through her mind. Well, you, I think you're absolutely right, mom. You can definitely be sure there's more to it, and what is going through her mind is a buildup, a rolodex of resentments. I'm also fearful the influence she is having, she is around, is not healthy and could be feeding into her victim feelings. I, I would say so but at this point she's 18 and she can leave and she can live wherever she wants your question is what do you do about college what do you do about support now there's no doubt in my mind that if you decide to cut college funding and she's only on she's only flat out on her her scholarship and she has no spending money she has no extra money and she's gonna take out a loan but you're not gonna co-sign then you be prepared, because if she got that mad because you took the car and left, hey, I don't want to think about what she'd react to if you if you take a stand like that. What do we do from here? Do we reach out to her? Do we turn off the cell phone service? And through tough love? No, mom, it's not tough love. It's love. Love is emotions and will and responsibility. That's love. I've been praying to Venus and the Rosary every day, hoping for some guidance for our daughter's safety and well-being and further know than her heart. We love her. Well, yeah, I think that's a great thing to pray for. But in terms of praying for her to have a change of heart, yeah, you keep doing that, but you recognize that that change of heart may be a little slower in coming. And depending upon what you decide to do regarding her college, see, I'm I'm always amazed at parents who whose kids just reject them and reject so much about them and who think they're idiots that the parents turn around and pay for their college. And especially college is the way it is now. You could, you, you've you, got a better than 50%, 50% chance you're going to lose your faith. And uh, especially get into partying. Bad combo. And then we turn around and pay for it. Uh, I think a nice rule is college payments are dependent upon responsibility and morality.
0: Call to communion.
6: 3EWTN Radio, we talk to audiences all over the world. One thing I've found out is everybody in the whole world has the same set of questions. They live the same human life. They all want meaning. They all want love. They all want significance. They want forgiveness. That's the most fascinating thing to me. The same answers work wherever you are throughout the world because we're all children of God.
0: Called to Communion with Dr. David Anders. This afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio.
1: (laughs)
6: The breadth of power that liberal governors such as Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan and Andrew Como in New York seek to wield against private citizens during this current pandemic is frightening. Contrary to their views, our federal constitutional rights don't go away in an emergency. These governors feel only a nominal constraint by our Constitution as evidenced by the restrictions they have imposed on our liberty. Under the banner of public health, they believe that their power is plenary and that the Constitution has little role, if any, in curtailing that power they are mistaken. Indeed, there is no pandemic exception to the fundamental liberties guaranteed by the Constitution. If the courts, and more importantly, we the people who ultimately control the fate of these politicians at the ballot box, were to simply accept the governor's actions and acquiesce to their power grab, then it is the fiat of the governors and not the Constitution that is the supreme law of the land. We aren't willing to surrender our freedoms so easily. We filed multiple federal civil rights lawsuits against both governors in federal courts in Michigan and New York. In the final analysis, if we don't demand our God-given inalienable rights, then they will be lost. Fight for freedom or lose it. It's that simple. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center, bringing you this Faith and Freedom Minute. You can learn more about the American Freedom Law Center and its fight for your faith and freedom by visiting our website and liking us on Facebook.
2: Bow. Dr. Ray, thank you so much for joining me here. Doctor is in. This is uh, E-Person Monday. Oh, yeah, I call it E-Person. You can't call it email. Come on, patriarchal, linguistically insensitive. I gotta say person. By the way, our uh, our music director at church told me that... His brother wrote him. He's in a university, which I shall not name. But the uh, music theorist there said that uh, that the music, the, the, I guess the classical stuff or whatever, has a has a a, a racist component to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not even the words here. This is the music. <clears throat> this is from Robert. Now I. I spoke, I I forget when it was, but I I spoke about my dad. And my point was, he was so much of his generation. They worked hard. They stayed in their marriages. They wanted to raise their kids as best they could. They were, by and large, search-going people. Just, just, Just decent people. I'm writing to thank you for your short EWTN clip. Describing how you knew that your father loved you. Yeah, I remember that now. I was talking about Pop, and I said so much like his generation. They were were slow to express emotions. They didn't wear their hearts on their sleeve. That was was just not the cultural persona of guys at that time. And I said, but I knew Pop loved me. And I listed how he loved me. Like you, Dr. Ray, I grew up in northeastern Ohio, Youngstown. Very familiar with Youngstown where my father was a factory worker at a rubber factory he left home every weekday morning at 6 a.m and got home around 4 p.m tired and grimy i never saw the inside of that factory where my mother also worked before i was born until i was born and and then worked until i was in college but the Heat and the dusty air was inside. was just as you described it in your father's case. Oh, yeah, it was brutal. Loud, banging, brutal. Can you imagine wearing a mask in there? Like your father, mine was a man of few words. By nature, perhaps. But also by a Midwestern culture of, no doubt, the experience of being drafted at the age of 33 with a wife and a child being sent off to war in the South Pacific. I don't recall my father or my mother ever saying out loud that they loved me or they loved each other. In fact, sometimes their conversations could be a script for the Bickersons. Nor were they the sort of people who did much touching. But my myself and my older brother never doubted that they loved us. Yeah, the, the tendency in our culture is we we've desi- we've defined and this has been this has been moved by the psychologists and the counselor types We've defined real genuine love as expressive love directly through emotions or affection, and, and those are really good things. Don't hear me saying, "I'm trivializing them." but all too often, I've seen adults with resentment toward their parents because their parents didn't express love like the, the youth modern generation thinks it should be, stra- it should be expressed. That's, the, that's what I mean. Their love showed up in the sacrifices they made. So we were both in the first of our extended family to go to college. We both ended up having long careers as university professors. They showed it in their expectations that we would study as hard as they worked in the pride they took in our accomplishments and the concern they showed in our difficulties. There were no, quote, public displays of affection, but countless demonstrations of loyalty, care, and genuine interest. Ain't that the truth? Love can be expressed in so many ways, and there's so much much a tendency to look back and go, you know, my father never did this. Yes, and I'm not saying it wouldn't have been good. I'm just saying I don't like the, the modern intolerance sometimes of our own parents because they didn't have the exact same bent toward expressing feelings, that we now do in our culture that is so so wrapped up in that, all right, oh, my passcode's not even letting me in always does that there shakes, and okay, I'm back. uh, let's see. I was sixteen when I left for college. My mother didn't cry; I never saw my mom cry, but she came closer to it than I'd ever seen. My father didn't say much till I was about to leave. <laughs> he walked to the car and said. And, and this is so typical of so much of that generation. I got to laugh. <laughs> the kid's going off to college, okay? What do you tell a kid going off to college? East Dad said, I don't want you playing cards at college. <laughs> that sort of reflected the, the, the dangers of the time. My father was a card player, mostly for pennies. I never saw him lose. When I asked him why, he said, you're a terrible card player, you'll lose your shirt. (laughs) By the way, by the end of my first year, I had seen guys in my dorm lose a expensive camera and a BMW motorcycle playing poker. (laughs) I was desperately homesick in my final two months at a fairly elite liberal arts college where I was the only student in my group from a working class background and almost two years younger than most of my classmates. I went home for the weekend near the end of October and I thought I might not go back. But when I got home, I realized how much tougher both of my parents had, had it when they were younger, and all they had done to give me a chance at the opportunity I had. I returned that weekend knowing that of all the things they'd given their sons the most importance was the confidence to be my own person with children of my own in my group in the company of a lot of folks the world would consider upscale yeah this is this is nice it goes on it's from robert it's from uh it's from canada canada and his point was the point i want to make I saw an I saw a show one time. This is when the the height of these uh, touchy feely, my life is wretched and miserable shows. And we put on a we put on a show for the audience and the TV viewing audience. And the show was essentially talking about all the ways that the parents just really didn't make the child feel loved. Now. The automatic implication in this was that whatever the child was saying, it wasn't a child, these are all adults, whatever they were saying was true. It reflected reality accurately. My parents didn't show love. How was that defined? Well, in most cases, it it was defined as an overt display of affection. But the question was never raised, well, did they do other things to show love other than how you define it? My love language is affection. That's good. Okay, that may be be the way that you most feel loved. But as a Christian, you can't look at somebody else and say, you need to answer my love language. No, no. As a Christian, you are to reach out toward them. And if you find out how they most want you to express love, then you do it that way but you can't demand it the other way. It's like, oh yeah, I know you do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G for me, but that's not what I think love is. I think love is M-N-O-P, and you don't do M-N-O-P. And I think what Robert's talking about here is as he got older, he looked and he saw my, my dad sacrificed like crazy for us. Crazy, his commitment level, his interest. Yeah, he he didn't have he didn't have the smoothest personality and he and mom argued a lot. I remember that too. Of course, among Italians sometimes we 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 get into these bicker battles and then 2 minutes later we're eating lasagna together and laughing. So Robert, thank you for the e-person. I appreciate it. And I guess what I want to say to anybody listening as much as possible, go easy on your parents. Especially your grandparents. Because they grew up in a very different time. And they were, in many respects, reflective of the personality, the persona of their particular generation. I'm
1: Dr. Ray. All the advice, none of the bills. Come in. The
4: doctor is in.
1: Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at
5: 844-313-4999. Christ is the Answer, with Father John Ricardo. John, chapter 8, verse 51. Jesus is in a discussion with some of the leaders of the Jews. They're talking about Abraham. Abraham lived 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. So in the course of the discussion, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He says that often in the Gospels. He who keeps my word or believes in me will never die. To which the Jews say, now we know you have a demon. And they say, Abraham died, as did the prophets. All the patriarchs, the great men and women of the history of Israel. All these people died, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died? And Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. To which the Jews say, You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Hi there, I'm Dr. Greg Popchak.
0: And I'm Lisa Popcheck.
5: Research shows that when families openly live and share their faith together, they're more able to respond positively to the challenges they face every day.
0: So if you're looking for help in creating that joyful place where each member of your family experiences life as a gift from God, then you will want to check out our book, Discovering God Together, The Catholic Guide for Raising Faithful Kids.
5: You can find this book on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net.
2: Do. Move your hands like that. Only karate guys can do it. I'm Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here. I got time for a real quick one. Real quick one. My four year old grandson recently saw a f- reflection of himself in the mirror and said, I hate you. Well, you know, Grandma, I kind of know how he feels. I mean, I don't hate me, but I look in the mirror and I go, ooh, ooh, I hate that. <clears throat> so, and i confirmed that he was talking about himself okay so don't at himself in the mirror i immediately tried to reassure him that he shouldn't hate himself and that he was beautiful smart loving etc i'm very bothered by this grandma why see i suspect you're bothered because of course with our rampant tsunami of a self-image movement in our culture of the last generation or two what is wrong, that's, that's, that's pathological, that you don't, you don't love yourself. First of all, it was said by a four-year-old, which uh, you can't put a whole lot of psychological meaning in anything a four-year-old says. They say all kinds of stuff. They say goofy stuff. They go goofy nuts. It's a wonderful It was a wonderful show uh, about this on Everybody Loves Raymond. The little, the little preschool kid drew a picture of the ugly family. Oh it threw everybody into a tizzy you know who is the ugly this one's got really ugly teeth and etc cetera, et cetera. And, and they went to to see the the therapist because we had to find out exactly why he perceives it this way and in the end you know what it was he was drawing a picture of a cartoon that he saw Well, and you' know, that's right. that kind of stuff's more true than you know how does a four-year-old learn to hate himself well first of all he doesn't hate himself grandma he doesn't hate himself I don't know what he meant by that. I don't think he meant anything. I'm only basing this upon the the, the 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 idea that most four-year-olds just say stuff. If he hated himself, you'd see it in a whole bunch of ways. You'd see it in his mood. You'd see it in maybe temper tantrums. You'd see it in all kinds of stuff. His parents are married. His mom, my daughter, does not work outside of the home. They have another son who's two. There, Here it is. I didn't see this one coming. What is your advice to help him gain a healthy self-image? I don't know that he doesn't have a healthy self-image. I would never automatically just assume he has no healthy self-image because he looked at his reflection in the mirror and said, I hate you. <laughs> who knows what he heard at preschool? Who knows what he heard anywhere? And besides, who knows what he means, if anything, by that? If it were me, I wouldn't be shook up. I'd just say, hey, <laughs> well, we don't hate you, and God loves you. So there. That's <laughs> about all I would do on that one, because I would I would just not be all that shook up by that one, especially, especially if the little guy just seems like a normal four-year-old. Oh, he's on the shy side. Okay, so that's still a normal four-year-old. This this definitely speaks. I wrote a chapter in a book once. My very, very first book was called You're a Better Parent Than You Think because I saw that it reflected there's so much going on in our culture that parents were getting very nervous and they were starting to over interpret their kids' behavior. And there was a chapter called Is My Child Normal? And I talked about that. I saw we, we tend to infuse psychological meaning in things that isn't there, but because we've, we've, been, we've been trained, we've been told, we've been immersed in over-psychologizing, so that when kids do things that's well within the wide, wide spectrum of normalcy, we're tempted to put some kind of interpretation on it, and it's usually a scary interpretation. You know, Grandma assumed here he doesn't have a healthy self-image. How can you assume that? Based on one remark? Eh. This better be a very, very broad picture. And Besides, he's four. The vast majority of four-year-olds I know naturally have a positive self-image. They're four years old. So, I got it. I do appreciate you all being with me so very, very much. On the C Person Money, Good Lord Permitting, talk to you tomorrow with my cohort and producer man. Andrew Kruchek, manning those little lights and buttons that flash. Walk with God always. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations,
1: books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
6: What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? This is Dr. David Anders answering your calls, emails, and text messages. Called to Communion is next on most of these EWTN stations. Join
1: EWTN for the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast from Washington, D.C. Join the faithful from across the United States as they gather in prayer and fellowship. That's
4: the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast from Washington, D.C. Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Television and EWTN
5: Radio Essentials.
1: EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. The Faith and Freedom Minute explores the intersection of our Catholic faith and modern American culture, offering insights to understand and navigate the divide between secular viewpoints and our Catholic principles. Brought to you by the Knights of Columbus, here's past State Deputy for Texas, Douglas Oldmixon. In
5: 1991, Justice Antonin Scalia wrote, Our society prohibits, and all human societies have prohibited certain activities not because they harm others, but because they are considered, in the traditional phrase, contra contrabonos mores, that is, immoral. His words remind us that there are absolute standards by which we can evaluate our public policies. Not everything is subject to democratic choice. The Church, in its role as the guardian of truth, constantly reminds us of the divine standards by which we can discern the moral choice and instructs us in the firm but loving manner by which we should seek to protect and defend an authentic social order, one built on moral principles. As Catholics and as Knights of Columbus, we strive to build such a society. Will you join us? This has been the Knights of
1: Columbus Faith and Freedom Minute. To learn more about the effective witness and practical works of the world's largest Catholic family organization, please visit our website at tkfc.org. That's tkofc.org.
5: My name is Father Richard Samur. I'm the pastor of St. Clair Catholic Church in the south of San Antonio. Thank you for listening to the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Sinclair uh, liturgies are Saturday, 5.30 p.m. is the vigil mass. Sunday, Spanish mass is at 8 a.m., 10 a.m. in English. Noon is bilingual. Everybody is welcome. Or you can call us at 210-924-5252. God bless you. Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floorsville, San Antonio on the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. And also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone.